This evening we shall look at marriage and divorce. Marriage and divorce. Would you go to Malachi chapter 2? We're continuing our series in Malachi. Amongst other things in the book of Malachi, we have already considered the Old Testament priests offering the blind, the lame and sick sacrifices to the Lord. Offerings which should have pointed the people of Israel to the, the sacrifice who was the sacrificial lamb of God who was to come into the world 400 years later, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet they were offering those um, contemptible sacrifices. Last week we looked at chapter 2 verses 1 to 9 and our focus was on the priest's Again, and how they failed in their sacred duty to teach the people the law of truth. So it was, first of all, we looked at the abominable sacrifices. And then last week, the law of truth that they were supposed to be teaching the people. And which is intended to induce repentance. In summary, the priests led God's old covenant people astray by failing to give glory to the name of the Lord. Instead of representing Israel before Almighty God, their miserable offerings and their failure to proclaim the law presented God as small and insignificant. Consequently, the judgment of God was upon those errant priests and he gave notice that he would curse their blessings and that he would spread the dung of their sacrifices upon their faces. That passage of scripture contains much application for this day and age, especially for the pastors and elders who tickle the ears of their congregations with their witty little anecdotes, motivational speeches and smooth words instead of them preaching law and gospel. This evening we shall look at chapter 2 verses 10 through to 17, a passage in which Not just the priests, but the whole congregation of Israel was being addressed on matters concerning their moral decline. In particular, sexual immorality, which was no doubt a consequence of the failure of the priests to proclaim the law of truth. As it is written in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, where there is no vision or revelation by the by the priests of God's will, the people perish. The passage starts with Malachi asking the people a rhetorical question in verse 10. Let's have a look at verse 10 there. Therefore, have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, Sorry, but I'm reading the first verse, wrong verse. But have been partial in the law. Verse 10. Have we not all one father? Have not one God created us? Two questions being asked there by God's messenger. In answer to the question in verse 10, the Lord most certainly had created 
those people, as indeed God has created every one of us. And as for being a father to Israel, he was, in the sense that, well, we see it in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22. That verse speaks of Israel as the Lord's son, even his firstborn. And that says a lot about the special covenant relationship that Almighty God had with the ancient Israelites. Despite the covenant relationship that that Israel had with God, they nevertheless dealt treacherously and they they committed what is described in verse 11 as an abomination. What could they have possibly done that that was so bad that it was described as an abomination, which means disgusting or detestable? What was it that Israel had done? They profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved. That's the answer there. We see it there in verse 11. The Lord is love and Christians can most certainly testify of his everlasting love for them. Each one of us in here who belongs to the Lord Jesus, we know something about that love for us, don't we? It's a Calvary love. It's an everlasting love. God has loved us with an everlasting love and he has drawn us to his son with loving kindness. And in a sense, we are the holiness of the Lord that he loves, or at least we are supposed to be as his people. We are a royal priesthood in a holy nation, his children. Having said that, not only is the Lord love and we know something of that love or we know rather if we're Christians we know quite a lot about that love, don't we? It's a love that will take us to be with Jesus in heaven. It's a love that has no equal. This world knows nothing about that love. But also God is holy. God doesn't swear by his love. He swears by his holiness. That tells us something about how much value the Lord places on his holiness. That he swears by his holiness. There are church ministers who go by the title reverend. But actually according to Psalm 111 and verse 9, holy and reverend is his name. There are those who wrongly address the Roman Catholic Pope as Holy Father. That's a terrible thing to do when you think that Holy Father is the name that the Lord Jesus Christ addressed his father as in his high priestly prayer in John Chapter 17. The angels in heaven most certainly acknowledge the holiness of God and they really do reverence him. For example, as I say time and time again, they cover their faces and they cover their feet in the presence of God as they call one to another 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This is the God of love. He is holy. Since the Lord is holy, so too are we, his chosen people. And we are commanded to be holy. Going back to Moses' time, the Lord spoke unto him, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Likewise, we have that in the New Testament as well. We are to be holy, dear Christian, because we have a holy God. Yet for all that, Israel, they profaned the holiness of the Lord. They dealt treacherously and committed an abomination by marrying the daughters of the heathen nations in terms of their covenant relationship with God. In defiance of that covenant relationship with the Lord. For example, if you turn to keep your finger in Malachi, if you want to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verses 1 to 6. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it and have cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. This is the thing I want to bring to you now. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods." so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God have chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. That's what the Lord said to Israel even before they took possession of the promised land, having been delivered by the Lord from their afflictions in Egypt. God's chosen people entering into relationships with the heathen nations was nevertheless a familiar theme, despite what I've just read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 7. For example, even before 
Israel took possession of the promised land, the people began to commit whoredom or sexual immorality with the Moabite women. It's worth reading this passage as well to see just how quickly and how terribly the Israelites defiled the covenant that they had with the Lord. I'm turning to Numbers chapter 25. Again, let's remember they hadn't even entered the promised land when this happened. Still out in the wilderness. Numbers chapter 25. Reading from verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, kindled against his own covenant people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman, woman, in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, have turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, behold, I give unto him, unto Phinehas, my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God, and made an atonement for the children of Israel. The action taken by Phineas the priest may seem somewhat extreme to you, but that kind of holy zeal for the glory of God is commendable. And as we can see, the Lord not only commended him, but furthermore, he blessed him and his seed after him. Would to God that there was that kind of intensity of zeal among us for the glory of God. Look at verse 2, 
you'll see what happened as a consequence of the Israelites going with the Moabite women. They worship their gods, their worthless idols. Going to another book, the book of Jeremiah. Israel's sins are summarised as follows. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their, their glory for what does not profit. Can you imagine that? The heathen nations, the Moabites the, uh, and all the other nations there, the ones that we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the, the, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all these nations, they must have been watching and thinking, we don't even do that. We're faithful to our gods, although they're worthless. But look at Israel. They have the Lord. They're forsaking the Lord for idols. That's what it says. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? And the answer is no. But Israel has. My people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Turning away from Almighty God and worshipping idols. And that was the consequence of going with the women of Moab, uh, of Moab and various other heathen nations. Instead of keeping themselves set apart and holy unto the Lord. The priests who should have been leading by example were just as bad, if not worse. I'm going to, t- I'm going to refer to something else now. 1 Kings chapter 11 this time. You wouldn't really expect it from the priests, but why not? 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, this was about 600 years before Malachi's time, okay? 600 years, and reading from verse 1 in 1 Kings chapter 11. Okay. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians and Hittites. This is the king of Israel. Or king of Jude. Well, no, it's king of Israel, isn't it? Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, Solomon clave unto these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. 
For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as David, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. That is another side to Solomon, isn't it? One that you probably don't don't think about. Moving forwards to just 50 years or so before Malachi's time, so we're catching up with Malachi now, there was a man by the name of Ezra. In the book of Ezra, we're told that he was a scribe. Also, he was a godly priest. Yep, there were actually some godly priests. Ezra was one of them. He was a descendant of Phineas. Phineas, the one who had the javelin and threw it through the uh, man of Israel and the, the woman from Moab. Look what happened during Ezra's time, just 50, uh, yeah, 50 years before Malachi. Ezra chapter 9. I'll read it to you. Find it. There we go. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites, that's the priests, the priestly tribe there, have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, the Amorites, For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands, precisely against what the Lord had said in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and plucked off the hair of my head and off my beard, and sat down astonied. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonied until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice I arose from my heaviness, And having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. And said, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up into the heavens. 
since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. It's been continuous until this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of lands, to the sword, to captivity and to a spoil and to confusion of face as it is this day. Ezra chapter 10 verse 18 tells us that even the priests took strange wives. That godly priest Ezra, though he didn't throw a javelin like his forefather, he did nevertheless tear his priestly robes, he plucked off the hair from his head and from his beard and he prayed to the Lord acknowledging the great sins of Israel from the time of his ancestors until that day. When you read on in Ezra, you see that those who had unlawfully taken strange wives were to put them away and to put their children away in order to restore the purity of Israel. The purity of Israel was so important. Clearly, nothing really changed because as as can be seen, about 50 years later in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 11, Judah dealt treacherously, that means deceitfully. They committed an abomination, they profaned the holiness of the Lord, they married the daughters of a strange God. Nothing changed at all. They'd been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years because of their rebellion. It seems that they learnt nothing. First and foremost, the abomination of Israel was committed against the Lord. But look at verses 12 to 16 in Malachi chapter 2. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying out insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, wherefore? Because the Lord have been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, against the wife of his youth. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit. And wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covenant covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. As can be seen there in verse 14, when men married the daughters of a strange god, 
they dealt treacherously against their wives, whom they had been united with in marriage. Look at the language that is used in verse 14 and 15 to describe the marriage relationship. Verse 14 speaks of the wife of thy covenant. And verse 15, Malachi said, did not he make one? Did not the Lord make one? Malachi's reference point was all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, which takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the Lord instituted marriage by uniting Adam and Eve as one flesh. In covenant with one another. Malachi wasn't the only one who referred back to Genesis chapter 2 when he spoke of marriage. The Lord Jesus Christ did so as well. When some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus answered by saying to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Twice Jesus said that they're joined together as one flesh. Malachi, he speaks about them being one. And this is what we read in Genesis chapter 2. Here we are about 2,400 years after the Malachi era with precisely the same kind of problems now defiling the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with some professing Christians profaning the holiness of the Lord. You can see that the purity of his people is paramount to the Lord. As it was then, so it is now. The purity of the church. People were profaning the holiness of the Lord back then and this is happening in our day and age. It would most likely be an extremely inaccurate exercise to look at statistics for adultery and for divorce within the church but suffice to say that it happens and it really should not happen. Tragically, churches have to varying degrees embraced the ungodly beliefs and practices of a society in which sexual immorality and divorce are the norm from the least of the people to the greatest. We live in a society in which any pretense by those who have the rule over us to respect the institution of marriage is exposed for what it is, fallacious, it's a sham, when you consider that laws have been enacted to accommodate so-called same-sex marriage. That is making a mockery of the marriage covenant that was instituted by God. 
where a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Consequently, the very fabric of society has been eroded with the family counting for nothing. One-parent families are all too familiar as a result of sexual immorality and divorce. With marriage counting for nothing. Such abominations are being multiplied year on year as children grow up not knowing anything other than adultery and divorce and following suit in their own adult lives. That's all they know. Not just a few, but so many children now. They know nothing of the family unit. Father, mother, that kind of thing. A significant number of children are growing up without the stability that is found in homes where the marriage covenant is being honoured. Consequently, violent juvenile crime is on the increase. Even the UK government, which has so much to answer for because of its disregard for traditional family values, has acknowledged in a report that was published in 2009, that, and I quote from the report here, that gangs are crowded with boys who have never been part of an intact family where people belonged with, with and to each other. The same boys may never have known the innate respect which flows from having access to a father's love and direction. They cannot survive in an emotional vacuum and their absent fathers know it. To a large degree, Christians have brought into that poisonous uh, belief and practice of wider society, so much so that there are church ministers who have themselves violated the marriage covenant, just like the priests of old. Also, it has been said that many church ministers and teachers are intimidated to the point of silence on issues regarding sexual practices of single people, extramarital affairs of believers and unbelievers, and divorce. A cartoon in Leadership magazine showed a pastor appearing before his congregation in a full suit of armour. As he lifted up the hatch over his mouth, he said, my subject today is divorce. If that is not a picture of an intimidated pastor, I don't know what is. As I have already pointed out, there were priests who most definitely did practice the abominations of adultery and divorce, along with the people they were supposed to have represented before God. As for the priests who didn't practice those evils, I wouldn't be surprised if they too would have been intimidated to the point of silence. However, for the good of the church, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and most of all for the glory of the name of the Lord, it needs to be clearly pointed out that sexual relationships are only lawful within a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. When you keep in mind as Malachi and the Lord Jesus Christ did that in marriage God made the man and the woman one flesh 
That covenant relationship and that unity can only ever be lawfully broken by the death of one or both of the spouses. All of us, if we are serious about honouring the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to appreciate that the marriage relationship ought to reflect the covenant relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has with his church. As the Apostle Paul said, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So clear in those verses that the marriage relationship between husband and wife is supposed to reflect and honour the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. All of this flies in the face of the wisdom of this age. Nevertheless, those of you who really are trusting in Jesus as your substitute sin-bearer, who loved you and who gave himself for you at the cross, will gladly comply with the apostolic exhortation with wives submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord and husbands loving your wives, not with just any old love, but with a sacrificial love. And to God be the glory. And more generally, outside the marriage relationship, Pray that with the Spirit of Christ working in you, you would love the things that God loves. You would hate and you would detest the things that God hates and detests. And you would have a holy boldness to swim against the flow and the evil practices of this Christ-rejecting, Christ-hating society that we live in. Amen.